Boom, put boom, 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 well, hello, because that's become a thing now. So I feel like I have to do it every time. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back to the A-Side, B-Side podcast, your definitive home for Mrs. Doubtfire Sounds. <laughs> oh, We're not going to break down the movie. We're not going to talk about it. We're just going to go, hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So how's it going this week? I, it's been good. Uh, I had a big family event this last weekend. Uh, grandma had passed away, so we had everybody back together. And it's actually been really cool that this entire, that side of my family doesn't get together very often. And now we've all gotten together twice in six months, which is, I don't think has really ever happened since we were all like children. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even sure if it happened then, because it was usually like we saw each other like once a year, like Christmas or Thanksgiving or something at Grandma and Grandpa's house. So it's been really great to see everybody. Uh, it has been eye-opening in that, like, you, you especially because my cousins, we only saw each other once a year. Mm-hmm. So I've got 40 years of maybe 40 days worth of information. Wow. You know, and so you make assumptions based on this very limited information and then you actually hang out with people and you're like, okay, some things that I assumed were like, you're still a very nice person, but also like you have a totally different sense of humor than I expected. Or uh, you might, you may have hobbies and things that I have never heard of because I haven't seen you more than one day out of a year for the last 10 years. So right. uh, that's, that's been really cool. And I hope and it's not fair because everyone knew I'm the oldest grandkid and everyone knew it's not going to be me that plans the next family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, my cousin Rachel, who is like barely younger than me, a couple of months, uh, but is much more efficient uh, and it's going to fall to her probably to get everybody together because the best part also of this is to see my mom and her brothers and how they've been dealing with grandma and grandpa moving them from the from their home to assisted living and then now over the last six months dealing with you know them passing away and the, the, the estate and all of that stuff and just seeing all three of those my mom and her two brothers tim and paul you could see a weight was lifted off their shoulders which was so so cool to see and and i know that it's one of those things where you never want someone to pass away but I was very lucky in that I also had like my grandparents were married for 75 years wow that's amazing Uh, I mean I think it's probably I think it's actually longer than that because it's something it was like 75 76 years but still like when you get to that level like one or two years you could you could fudge on the numbers because it's just insane right Uh, and they they lived amazing lives they both uh were ready to go when they went it wasn't traumatic it wasn't you know, it wasn't a long, long time of pain. They were just, they were ready to go when they went. But to see, like, you don't even realize how stress can physically affect you. Mm-hmm. But just to see both my mom and both my uncles, they look like they had, like, literally had something taken off of their backs. Uh, they were lighter and that was really cool. But also because of that, They've also decided they're not going to plan anything else. So it's falling to the grandkids. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why it's on Rachel now. She's going to have to, <laughs> she's going to have to send out the email 
or the text about the uh, the next family gathering because uh, my mom's generation is like, we're good. We're done. We're the grandparents now. You guys come visit us. <laughs> so it's on us and I'm not going to plan. But it was a really good week. Uh, also, like Wichita, way cooler little city than I thought. Oh. I've never been there twice in six months. Um, I don't know. In my brain, I was expecting way more like cowboy hats and just, you know, cows roaming the streets and things. Uh, but when you're in a suburb in a major metropolitan area in the U.S., you could be in any state, and it's kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was kind of it was which was a, a fun thing fun thing to learn. Uh, Casey General Store does not sell hats or shirts in their uh, locations, which was very much bummed me out because my grandfather's last name was Casey, and I've always wanted like a like a Casey General Store hat or T-shirt or something. Did you look online yet? Uh, now they have an entire thing online, but it's like, it's like trendy fashion. Like you could get an, like I could just dress in Casey gear for like weeks if I bought everything, mm-hmm. but there's something about just like buying the, you know, 1095 trucker hat in the truck stop yeah. that feels more, more genuine, but I, yeah. I will probably, I, I definitely will get something. They do have a cool website. So there's a lot of, a lot of options, uh, just like any corporate website. I think they could do it with a little bit more uh, interesting stuff. Like I, I may suggest to Casey, a general store or corporate that they hire you because I'll be honest, our merch is better. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I've been like thinking the, the, like, the, it's probably time for some new merch. Well, yeah, we, we got to do some stuff for the fall, maybe like a flannel oh flannel right we're both in the midwest now like <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> i hear all the cool guys wear flannels <laughs> um what happened with your brother you said you had a fun story with your about your brother oh so you don't remember the last time i went down to wichita i had like the horrible experience with the planes trains and automobiles and I got down there so easy this time. I flew. It was great. It was an hour and a half long flight. And by that, I think literally from leaving the gates in Minneapolis and getting to Wichita, it was an hour and a half. So probably like 40 minutes of that was like taxiing because mm-hmm. it felt like we, like we got up to the top and there was just enough time to give everybody peanuts and then we came right back down. <laughs> so it was super simple. And then my poor brother who was coming and he had a connecting flight in Denver and he was delayed leaving home. He was delayed in Denver. There was like thoughts of like not being able to make it into Wichita. Then he finally got in at 1230 at night. Ooh. And one of the, one of the reasons, and we were sharing a hotel room. So he rolled in and like literally our entire conversation was like, I was sleeping on the pullout, the pullout uh, bed on the couch by the door and the door opens up and makes all the noise in the world. So I pop up, I'm like, ah, and he opens the door. I'm like, Hey, he was like, Hey, and then that was it. Then I went right back to sleep. That was our entire conversation after not seeing each other for like five months. It was, hey, hey. It was like basically just the two most stereotypical male Brothers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But my poor brother and literally anyone that has ever slept in remote proximity to me, I snore like a dragon is being strangled by a chainsaw. <laughs> It's really, really bad. This is why I try to go to sleep last. Like I've always been the guy that like stays up later. Mm-hmm. And then like, I, cause I'm like, if you can get to sleep, then it's less likely that I'm going to wake you with my snoring. Now, if you wake in the middle of the night, that's on you. 
<laughs> but I will let you get to sleep first and then I will start storing. And he got in after he had been delayed like six hours total between the two airports. Uh, he'd been told like he wasn't going to make it like four times. And so he just gets in and he just wants to go to sleep. And then I am sawing logs all night long. And I don't think he slept at all. Like he, he said he kind of passed out at like 4 a.m. Oh my god. But then my but then my alarm went off at 6 30 because I was like, I gotta get the free buffet in the lobby. <laughs> so it was like I felt I felt so bad, but I was like, all right, well, you know, tonight, the second night, I just stayed up as late as possible. I went to bed at like 3 a.m. and I slept from like three to seven. And I got up and like decided to go to the world's tiniest pool because the pool was literally like 10 yards long. So like you could, bathtub, you could, though. Yeah, barely. <laughs> like you could do like three, three strokes of the breaststroke and you're from one end to the other. And I was uh-huh. like, well, I'm gonna get so many laps in. Uh, but I think he slept better the second night. I did tell him because I wanted, I thought that I would have video evidence of how bad I snored. So I said, I said, Andrew please record me. Like if you wake up, I've never heard myself snoring mm-hmm. because obviously I'm asleep. I've been told that it's awful and I mm-hmm. have sleep apnea. So I just stop breathing sometimes. And I mean, like, I didn't realize I had sleep apnea when I was like a little kid, but like at, at sleepovers in like fifth grade, I had friends like shaking me awake because they thought I had just stopped breathing for some reason. Oh my gosh. Because I had. Yeah. So this has been like a lifelong thing. So I, I asked him, I was like, Andrew, please this I like it, it sucks that you're not gonna get any sleep but let's let's make some but some while you're not sleeping yeah. you might as well like get a video of me so we can just completely troll me on the podcast and then evidently I did such a good job of waiting for him to go to sleep and letting him get into REM before I decided to start you know the the snore symphony uh that he didn't he didn't wake up and didn't record me so I was a little, like I had texted you on before the second night thinking we're going to have video that we'll be able to play. It'll be like, it could be our new theme song because God only knows what it sounds like. He said he's never heard anything like it. <laughs> so I was very disappointed. So now I'm just probably going to have to like record myself, like set up a camera and see if I can get, you know, audio of my horrible snoring for the, for the next one. But I was a little disappointed. I'm glad he slept because he clearly didn't the day before, but I thought we were going to have like so much more audio to play with. Now that's funny. Poor Andrew, but at least he got some sleep. Yeah, he got some sleep. It seems like, I don't know. It, and also like, I felt bad because he kind of offhand mentioned it. When we were like talking to everybody at the funeral. And then I just decided to take ownership of it. And so I just started talking about it. Nonstop. Like every time they're like, oh, so you guys get in late. How did you sleep? I was like, well, he didn't sleep at all. <laughs> <laughs> because I snore. I snore like a dragon that is sitting on a thing of gold. Oh, my gosh. Now that's funny. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you will watch this or not, because I can't remember. I know you're not into scary movies, but. I do. I know you do like some kind of like sci-fi sometimes. Um, yeah. Hulu just dropped uh, their brand new Predator prequel, and it's oh yeah, like Prey. in the seventh yeah, and it's actually they just came out and said it's been their most watched debuted 
show, uh, movie, whatever of all time. And I watched it on Sunday. I, I mean, I was pretty impressed. The dude that plays the predator, six nine. Jeez. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't drive a compact. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Six nine. He's, he's not sitting in a smart car. But it was very interesting to see uh this take of the predator. And predator is one of those that I do I do enjoy. Like it was, and I think we've talked about this, but like there were so many movies that I first experienced as a kid by convincing my friend, Matt Johnson, to describe the entire movie to me, scene by scene, during various recesses, because I couldn't see it because I was not allowed to see like violent movies or like R-rated movies. So I would make him like recount the entire, like everyone else is like playing tag or playing like cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians. And Matt and I are out there like, reenacting the entire you know <laughs> plot line of predator <laughs> and he was so good like he works for the government now and he's really great at his job but he kind of missed his calling and being just like a like a storyteller because he mm-hmm. did such a great job and so i first saw predator on the playground as retold to me by matt but then we finally i finally get to watch it in, high, in like junior high and oh so good and literally it is the only movie that i know of that contains two future governors. Oh, okay, Arnold and Jesse the Body Ventura, who was the governor oh, of Minnesota. Oh, that's right. That's right. And they were in the same one. Mm-hmm. Because you know, there's been several. Because oh, Arnold yeah, yeah, was the yeah. star of the first one, and then Danny Glover was the was it? Dan- yeah, Danny was in the second one. Yeah, and, and those two, I I accept. Predators was good, but flawed because kind of did it like a like almost like a hunger games thing where like drop all these guys on like a they were kidnapped from earth and they sent to this foreign planet yeah uh, and then hunted uh i do not stand by any of the aliens versus predator nonsense no, i don't either but i'm not an aliens person so that could be part of it too i mean i love alien i love aliens like i was at the mls all-star skills challenge last night which is here in, in uh, Minnesota and a friend of mine got tickets and didn't want to go and shared them with me. So I went, but there was a guy who had this camera, but it had the full on like back thing, just like they do in the, for the Marines in aliens. It's like wire suspended to like help you ca- like keep the camera steady, but that's how they carry these giant like machine guns. Mm-hmm. And so the entire time I'm walking on, and I'm, I even like, we were two rows away. And I so wanted to ask the guy, I was like, can you just say for me, like, I'm going to get my phone out. Can you just say, they're in the walls, man. They're in the freaking walls. Oh, yeah. That's, man. Okay, what about The Predator that came out in 2018? I, I don't think I've seen that one, honestly. After the Predators versus Alien stuff, I just kind of like checked out. Yeah. Um, and this is the first one that's really interested me, but because they're doing something different. It's like going back old school. Yeah. And it's not just going to be like, guys with machine guns fighting you know it's 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 an entirely different like what if sort of scenario and the one cool thing about the predators is that they like in every movie there'd be a spot where like they could kill somebody but they didn't think they were a threat or they didn't think it was sporting so they didn't Mm -hmm. so like you know they're not just going to show up and fighting anybody that are, are using primitive weapons and then like just be like, ah, oh, we've nuked you from space. You know, like yeah. it, it's it's going to be like fighting them on their level, which is it's kind of cool. So that that I that is something I am interested in seeing. 
and the star is a female, which is totally new. I mean, of course, the Alien yeah. franchise had that with Sigourney Weaver, but in mm-hmm. the, the Predator franchise has not had a female lead at all. So it's pretty no, cool. And, and even if they have female characters, it's in one of those like ensemble things where there's like 30 people and they're just getting knocked off left and right. You know? Yes. It, it's not in the same. I mean, I still think that the Ripley character is so important from a cultural and also like cinema. It, like, it, it me- it's messed up that we had two of the best sci-fi heroines ever in the early, like late 70s, early 80s with Sigourney Weaver in Alien and uh, Linda, Linda Hamilton in Terminator. And then like, we were then told that we can't have female leads in action movies because they won't work. So I will say, watch it. If you are a Predator person, I think you will very much enjoy this. Um, that's all I got. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, one more, one more. The most hated man on the internet. And I don't remember this guy. Um, Hunter... Oh goodness, what is his last name? I can't remember. Anyway, it was there was a website in the early 2000s. Um, is anyone up? And it was a revenge porn website that like blew up. Oh, really? Oh, it, it it blew up. And um, I, I, I can't believe that I don't remember the guy that was the, the creator of the site. Um, but it was wild because he went so viral when viral was just kind of taken off with his content. And like, he just was an utter douchebag, just a complete and utter douchebag. Hunter Moore is his name. And he is the self-proclaimed professional life ruiner. So watching, you know, from the start of that website and how it impacted so many different people's lives, Mm. finding out that their photos are on the internet and it's photos that they didn't even send to people, but to get, you know, I'm not going to ruin that for you, but you've got to watch it. It's, it's good. It's three episodes. It feels like that. That's one where I'm going to like throw stuff at the TV. Yeah, you probably will. You're going to scream. You're going to yell. You're going to punch the air because this dude is such a douchebag. But anyway. there, there's a lot, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. But that's all I got. <laughs> um, I finished up watching Blackbird, which mm, was, what'd you think? I thought it was so, so good. Yeah. Um, from a pacing standpoint, I felt like they, they just like wrap things up too quickly. Mm-hmm. Like everything happens so quick. Um, but that also like led to like, for so much of the episode, you're like in, like is it like he's screwed he's not gonna get out like they're running out of time oh okay then like he get you know they figure it out at the end but uh, i thought it was incredibly well done uh uh paul thomas hauser Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. super creepy never want to hang out with him Mm -hmm. i'm sure he's a great guy but he's so good at playing just a super bad dude that I don't know that I could ever separate him from the character, which is not fair. I mean, that sucks for him. He's probably going to like go to, you know, Burger King. People are going to throw stuff at it, but uh, <laughs> he's, he's so good at playing a bad, bad guy. And I thought Taron Andrew did, did a great job. Um, I, I love that after two episodes, I didn't realize it was a true story. So I was really hoping for a season two. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen. But uh, <laughs> it, 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 I thought it was very well done. Uh, I also, you know, was rewatching Midsummer you know, Murders again, as I do every summer. Uh, and they're so good. So many great cameos. Yeah, I don't think I've watched much because of the because of the uh, the traveling to Wichita and everything. And I thought, like, oh, I'm gonna get on the plane. I'm gonna like be able to watch the free movie, right? Mm-hmm. No, no, this, this was a plane that did not have TVs in the seats <laughs> because the flight was so fast. Because <laughs> it was so quick, and like it was fine. It was a very comfortable plane. But I just was like, oh, there's no TV there. So I kind of had that moment where I thought I was gonna work on the bus, and I got on the bus that was like no wi-fi no outlets <laughs> no tv train i was like oh okay maybe i shouldn't make assumptions but uh yeah it's been it's been good i it's crazy that we are in the second week of august already and like people are talking about school coming back in a couple weeks my oldest is going to school in like next week they start already which feels insane so yeah, they Summer start is over here too next week. And it's like, gosh, it's still like a hundred degrees outside. Yeah. Well, uh, when I was a kid, we got school called off for heat because one, they didn't want kids standing outside waiting for buses and two, none of the schools were air conditioned. Mm-hmm. So in little Seward, Nebraska, we, I had more school days I, in my life. I, I'm not sure if I remember correctly, but I remember more school days called off when I lived in Nebraska going to school for three years for heat than the other 19 years that I had was in Minnesota for snow. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, cause you can plow snow. Mm-hmm. You can't plow heat. You can't plow heat. No. Well, are you ready for this week's episode to jump in? I am ready. All right, so last week, you know, we did our little swap. So basically, mm-hmm. I did the movie, and I know it was my idea, and we talked about um, The Last Dragon or whatever, and, and you had the incredible story of Marceline Harvey, Harvey Marceline. Uh, but originally, when I proposed the idea of our swapping, it was because of a different movie. And when I started to look into this movie, I realized that there was a true crime kind of attached to a person in the movie, not like the movie itself, but the main okay. person in the movie. So I was like, oh, I got to say that. So <laughs> that's the story that we're going to do this week. This week, we're going right. to be talking about actress Lana Turner. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. She was born uh, Julia Jean Turner on February 8th of 1921. Uh in Idaho, in Wallace, Idaho, it was a very small uh, mining community in the Panhandle region. She's an only child. Her dad was a miner, John Virgil Turner. He was originally from Montgomery, Alabama. He was of French descent. Uh, her mom was Mildred. Long ways to go. Like I Montgomery, know. Alabama to Idaho? <laughs> Gee whiz. I know. Uh, Mildred Francis Cohen was from Lamar, Arkansas. That was her mom. And her mom was of English, Scottish, and Irish and, uh, ancestry. So her mother, Mildred, was almost 17 years old when she gave birth to Lana. She was four days shy of 17 when she gave birth to Lana. 17. 
their parents met for the first time or her parents met for the first time uh, while Mildred was 14 years old. Her dad was a mine inspector in Oklahoma with her father who was inspecting local mines there. John, her dad, Lana's dad was 24 years old. Let me say that again to you. Her dad was 24 years old when he met her mom who was 14. Times are definitely different. Yeah, that was, uh, that, that evidently was acceptable at the time. Not quite, I mean, obviously it, it happened, but her, uh, Mildred's dad was not happy about the courtship. He did oppose to it, but oh, the two yeah. ended up eloping and they moved West and ended up in Idaho. At 14, she eloped. Yeah, I don't think that's called eloping anymore. It's called an Amber Alert. <sighs> that's why I say times are definitely, definitely different. Yeah. So we're going to fast forward to Lana being discovered. So Lana is a gorgeous, she's beautiful. She's obviously, I feel like, is Idaho considered Midwest? Because I feel like a lot of the early stars were like Midwestern. I mean, I feel like Idaho is more plainsy, but. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Like the upper, like almost Northwest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause you're like right next to Washington at that point. So there's some kind of myths around Lana Turner's discovery because one version of her discovery story states that she was at a Schwab's pharmacy. Um, and, but that's not true. She was no. actually, by her account, she was a junior at Hollywood High School and she had skipped typing class and she went and bought a Coca-Cola at the Top Hat Malt Shop, which was on Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. While she's at this, the shop, she's spotted by the publisher of The Hollywood Reporter. His name is William Wilkerson. He was like instantly drawn to her beauty and her physique. Plainsy Midwestern girl, you know, she's got some curves to her, okay? Well, I mean, uh, for like, com- like mental comparison, in the uh, 1997 film LA Confidential, mm-hmm. Lana Turner is played by Kim Basinger. There you go. There you go. So he asked her, hey, do you want to be in the movies? And so she says, I'll have to ask my mother first. <laughs> Fair. It's a good answer. It is a good answer. She did get her mother's permission and she was referred by William Wilkerson to uh, Zeppo Marx. Of course, if you know anything about the Marx brothers, Zeppo Marx, he's the actor. He was a talent agent. Well, in 1936, Zeppo introduced Lana Turner to Mervyn Leroy, who signed her to get this, a whopping $50 a week contract with Warner Brothers. So that would be almost $1,000 today. Yeah. I mean, it was was definitely more than she was making in high school. Uh, Yeah. So soon she becomes, you know, she, you know, Mervyn takes her under his wing and she changes her name legally to Lana Turner. So, of course, Lana Turner becomes a a big star. I mean, she's in several movies. And, of course, the movie that brought her to my attention was a movie that is called um, Imitation of Life. This is a movie that uh, my mom and I would watch all the time when I was growing up. So Lana Turner is in the 1959 remake, the original Imitation of Life is from 1934. We're going to get into that here in just a second. 
just to show you that like Hollywood's been doing this remake thing for a long time. Yeah, this is nothing new, nothing new at all. But like I mentioned, so Lana Turner, you know, she becomes a, a pretty big deal. If you look at her IMDb page, she's in 60 different uh, movies. She's in some of the, she's, you know, she stars with some of the bigger names. Um, Sandra D, who was also a big name at, at the time. Of course, we know uh, Olivia Newton-John, who just passed. They make a reference to Sandra D and her being like, you know, innocent looking like Sandra D uh, in Greece. So Sandra D was another big name at the time, and she stars in several different movies with her. Um, she's also with John Forsyth, who you know John Forsyth from, uh, if you if you remember '80s movies, John Forsyth was in uh, Dynasty, um, and several other big names. So, anyway, long story short, she she becomes like a big deal. Yeah, and she she was one of the like the it girls of the time. Yes. You know. Yes. All right. The reason that I couldn't do this story last week is what we're about to talk about. Mm. So, Lana Turner in 1957, she begins shooting The Lady Takes a Flyer as it's a female it's about a female pilot. She starts shooting this in the spring of 1957. Well, while she's on set, she starts getting phone calls and flowers from a gangster, a known mobster named Johnny Stampinato. He was going by the name Johnny Steele when he would call her or send the flowers because he was a known mobster and he didn't want to, um, he, he figured that if she knew his real name, she wouldn't date him understandably not alana claims she had no idea how johnny actually got her phone number but she later learned that he actually like collected phone numbers of hollywood starlets he had like jaja gabor's phone number and june allison's phone number as well so he was he's like the 1950s equivalent of the dude just sliding into everybody's dms yes 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 so that's him. Him sending flowers is him sliding into the DMs. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was. The, it was. It was better. At least, at least you got flowers. That's true. So Johnny. It wasn't a dick pic. <laughs> oh, gosh. So Johnny, like, he tirelessly, he was aggressive in his pursuits of Lana. He's like calling her, sending her flowers, sending her gifts. So we would call it harassment. <laughs> but if it's somebody no, you're yeah, interested yeah. in, you kind of are flattered by it but if it's somebody you're not mm -hmm. interested in especially if you've been like please stop then yes that is absolute harassment yeah but lana's like intrigued by johnny Steele, and yeah, uh, sounds like a secret agent <laughs> johnny Steele, yeah she's intrigued by his you know very forthright approach and they actually begin dating casually well then a friend like tells her hey psst, hey lana you know who that guy is so she confronts johnny and, and she tries to break it off and he he's not having it he's like no you're, you're not going anywhere yeah, he's a mobster they're not known for taking no exactly well also the fact that he's a mobster and he's obviously very aggressive and is not easily deterred they have quite a turbulent relationship over the next year it gets really violent there's arguments there's abuse 
there's breaking up, there's getting back together. Not Lana claims at one time that he drugged her and actually took photographs of her while she was unconscious. Yes, nude photographs of her because he wanted to be able to use them as blackmail against her. So in September of 1957, Johnny visits Lana in London, where she's filming another movie called Another Time, Another Place, co-star Sean Connery. Initially, their meeting was happy, just like always, and then they start fighting. Johnny starts to get jealous and suspicious because Lana is like, I don't want you on the set. They start fighting again. One fight was so violent that he ended up choking her. To avoid further confrontation, Lana and her makeup artist, Del Armstrong, call Scotland Yard, and they hatch a plan to have him removed from set and deported. Oh, damn. Uh Yeah. Which, I mean, it's kind of funny, but anyway. I mean, that's a, that's a baller move to be like, um, sorry, we, I called Scotland Yard and uh, you have to leave the country. <laughs> so he gets wind of this plan to have him deported and he shows up on set and he's waving around a gun and he's threatening her. He starts threatening Sean Connery. Sean Connery, you don't mess with Sean Connery. We know who he is. Mm. He's James yeah. Bond. Sean Connery ends up grabbing the gun out of Johnny Stompanato's hand, twisting his wrist, and it makes Johnny leave the set. So Lana Turner and her makeup, Del Armstrong, they go back to the house that she was renting in London with two detectives from Scotland Yard. And that was actually where Johnny was staying with her as well. So Johnny, after having run off the set, of course, runs back to the house. The detectives are like, look, you got to leave. So they escort him out of the house. They take him to the airport and he boards the plane back to the U.S. So from September to March, you know, they're on again, off again, on again, off again. Well, on the evening of March 26th of 1958, Lana Turner attends the Academy Awards to observe her nomination for Peyton Place. And she also presented the award for Best Supporting Actor. That year, the nominees were Vit- uh, Vittorio De Sica for A Fel- Farewell to Arms, uh, Sus Hayakawa for The Bridge Over the River Kwai, Arthur Kennedy for Peyton Place, which was Lana's movie, and Russ Tamblin also for Peyton Place. And the winner was Red Buttons for Sayonara that year. In case you're wondering, I did my research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not an easy thing to do. I tried to do this last week. It's exhausting. <laughs> So Johnny is pissed off because Lana did not ask him to attend the ceremony with her. He's not on the red carpet. They're not, they're, they're not together. Now at this point, you know, they've been, they've been together like a year, like I said, and it's been a very turbulent year. So he's just pissed off. So he's waiting for her when she gets back home where he physically assaults her. Well, eight days later, on Friday, April 4th, about eight o'clock, Johnny goes back to Lana's house. She was renting a house uh, in Beverly Hills. The two begin arguing again. It's a very heated argument in which Johnny threatens to kill Lana. Now, before we get into it any further, I need to backtrack because I, I, I failed here 
to give you some very vital information. There was a time when Lana was married. Lana was married and she had a daughter named Cheryl. Lana and Cheryl's father did not work out. But also, uh, one uh, one other since we're backtracking, uh-huh. uh, Kim Basinger played Lynn Bracken, who was based off of Lana Turner in uh. LA Confidential. But both characters, actors portrayed Lana Turner and uh, Johnny uh, Stompanato in the movie in the movie as well. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were like minor characters. Lynn Bracken, I believe, was a made-up character for that story, but uh-huh. was inspired by Lana Turner. By Lana in my Turner. understanding. Yeah. Okay. So Lana's husband was actually uh, Joseph Stevens, Steve Crane. They had met at a dinner party. They eloped to Vegas, whatever. Their marriage was actually annulled. And when their marriage was annulled, by the time their marriage was annulled, she was four months pregnant. Okay. All right. So she gives daughter, uh, she gives birth to a daughter named Cheryl on July 25th of 1943. Now let's get back to, not that that was a minor detail, but it kind of, anyway. That's an important detail. It is, it is an important detail. So I apologize. Um, okay. So we get, we get back to the argument. So Johnny and um, Lana are arguing in her bedroom and Cheryl hears this argument and she hears Johnny threaten to kill her mother. So she, of course, reacts because she, she fears for her mother's life. So she'd been watching television. She goes in the kitchen and she grabs a knife and she runs into the room to defend her mother. When Cheryl was talking about the incident in 2012, she said, there's a knife on the counter. I picked it up. I ran back upstairs. Her door suddenly flies open. I see Johnny coming toward me. He's got his hands up. I raised the knife and he walks right into it. He looked at me and he said, my God, Cheryl, what have you done? That was according to an interview she did on CBS 48 Hours. So according to Lana, Johnny dies at the scene. She testified that she initially believed that Cheryl had just punched Johnny, but then she realized he'd been stabbed when he collapsed and she saw the blood on his shirt. Cheryl immediately called her dad, Steve Crane, um, after putting the knife down on the table. Lana calls a doctor who... As soon as he gets there, he tries to revive Johnny Stumpinato with an adrenaline injection, but it wasn't successful. And he ultimately declares Johnny dead at the scene. An autopsy showed that Johnny's cause of death was a single stab wound that penetrated his liver, portal vein, and aorta, and it resulted in a mass, massive hemorrhage. So, I mean, the stories line up, you know, it was just like she said, it was just the one stab, but that was yeah. all it took. <clears throat> well, I mean, makes it you hit the right spot. I mean, how many times do you hear about all these people getting stabbed multiple times? But sometimes it only takes one. Sometimes it only takes one. Well, because Lana is, you know, a big deal, she's famous. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this also involved her teenage daughter, the case is a media sensation. More than a hundred reporters and journalists are at the trial. Uh on April 12th, it was uh, April 12th of 1958. It was an inquest. It was described by attendees as, quote, near riotous. After four hours of testimony and approximately 25 minutes of deliberation, the jury found that it was a justifiable homicide. Cheryl ended up in the temporary custody of the court until April 24th, 
when a juvenile court said that they did have some concerns over her receiving proper parental supervision. So she was released to the care of her grandmother, Mildred Turner. And she was ordered to regular visits with a psychiatrist alongside her mom and dad. So even though Lana, who was never charged, but her daughter was exonerated of any wrongdoing, the public, of course, had very mixed opinions on what happened. A lot of publications felt that Lana's performance at the inquest was the performance of a lifetime. Life magazine even published a photo of her testifying in court, along with stills of her in the courtroom and like scenes from some of her movies. So they're like doing side-by-sides of her with her movies. So that also is nothing new. Yeah, no, it, it, it sounds like this would have been right. If it was now that we would have seen every single, you know, thing live on TV. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So the scandal happened to coincide almost like if Kris Jenner had planned this herself, uh, coincide with the release of her movie, Another Time, Another Place. Unfortunately, it, it really did impact the success of the movie. It got really poor receipts and the, the response of the people who saw it was just really lackluster. Johnny's family, they filed- Who are mobsters. Yes. They filed a wrongful death suit in the amount of $750,000. I mean, to be honest, if you if you kill a mobster and their reaction is to sue you instead of put a hit on you, I think you're winning. <laughs> uh, probably. I mean, so, that, that says to me that even the family was like, yeah, I got this everything. But yeah, we're still yeah, going to get paid. Yeah, we're, we're still going to, we're still going to milk this for all it's worth. So um, they filed that, that wrongful death lawsuit against both Lana and Steve Crane, her ex-husband. In the lawsuit, Johnny Stampanato's son says that he actually thinks that it was Lana Turner that was responsible for the death and she just let her daughter take the blame. That's a, that's a heck of a conspiracy theory uh-huh the suit was settled out of court in may of 1962 for twenty thousand dollars which today would be about 196 almost 290 uh two hundred thousand dollars which i'm gonna i'm again i'm gonna point out like if this guy was that important to his mob family two hundred thousand dollars ain't gonna cut it mm-hmm. so this was that it might have been like we gave you the discount because you took care of our problem. <laughs> there was a book written by Harold Robbins in 1962 that's called Where Love Has Gone. And there was also a film uh, with the same name that was about the entire incident. Time magazine named the Stampinato death one of the crimes of the century in 2007 and it ranked it up there with the mysterious death of Marilyn Monroe from 1962 and the OJ trial from 94-95 that film that I mentioned the uh, where the love has gone um, the film actually starred Susan Hayward and Betty Davis oh that's a heck of a cast there's the movie a boy, uh, this boy's life and in the movie this boy's life the case is actually shown on the news on tv while robert de niro and leonardo dicaprio watch 
it's inferring that Leo's character intends to do the same thing to defend his mom from an abusive husband. So this all happened again in 1958. Well, in 1959, Lana accepts the role in the remake of Imitation of Life under the direction of Douglas Sirk. She portrays a struggling actress who has to make personal sacrifices for her career. She's a struggling actress and a single mom. Mm -hmm. Sounds a little bit familiar. Yeah. Um, she actually did have a hard time during making the making of this movie. She suffered a panic attack, panic attack on the very first day. Her co-star, Juanita Moore, recalled that Lana Turner cried for three days after filming a scene in which Juanita Moore characters passes away. If, and, and again, you have to see this movie. She said when she returned to set, her face was so swollen that she couldn't work. Uh, Imitation of Life was released in the spring of 1959 and it was actually among the year's biz, biggest successes that year. And it was one of Lana's biggest successes. She actually receives 50% of the film's earning instead of a salary. So she earned Dang. more than $2 million in 1959. All right, Lana, well done. Exactly, right? Go Lana. Um, the reviews, of course, for about the movie were mixed. One person said Lana plays a character of changing moods and her changes are remarkably effective as she blends love and understanding, sincerity and ambition. Um, the growth... The growth of maturity is reflected neatly in her distinguished portrayal. Some critics and audiences couldn't help noticing that the plots of Peyton Place and Imitation of Life seem to imitate parts of Lana's private life, which yeah. she said she found those comparisons pretty painful. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's understandable that maybe having that life experiences, experience would make her portrayal of those characters even more powerful. Mm -hmm. So if you have not seen Imitation of Life, again, an aspiring, struggling actress, single mom, takes in an African-American widow who has a mixed race daughter that is desperate to be seen as white. Now think of this in the time frame in which it was released, in the 50s and everything that's going on. Um, and it's still a movie. It's a, it's a, it's a great movie. It's gut-wrenching. It's there's, there's loving parts. There's heartbreaking parts. There's gut-wrenching parts. Um, I, I have the part of what made me think about it was I was doing exercises and I looked over and I saw the uh, videotape and I was like, I've got to mm. order this on uh, DVR because I don't have it on DVR. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, it, is it available anywhere to watch? It is on prime video. You can rent okay. it or buy it for $3.99 and I highly recommend it. I do not think you'll be disappointed if you, if you rent it. Like, again, I'm I said it's kinda, one of those that my mom and I watched together all the time. I'm kind of shocked it hasn't been made in, it's been 60 years and they didn't, they remade it twice in like 25 years and then yeah, no it one's remade been it. Made since. I know. It feels like it would be like, clearly we're still dealing with a lot of the same uh -huh. issues. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that kind of shocks me. 
Right before the release of Imitation of, of Life in the spring of 1959, Lana was cast as the lead role in Otto Preminger's Anatomy of Murder, but she walked off set over a wardrobe disagreement and she just walked out of the production. <laughs> Instead, she took a role as a disturbed socialite in the film, uh, Portrait in Black. She was opposite Anthony Quinn and Sandra D. Again, she works with Sandra D, who plays her yeah. daughter, her uh, a teenage daughter in Imitation of Life. So they, you know, worked together several times. And it was actually a box office success despite bad reviews. Uh, Lana Turner passed away in, what year do you think, Adam? All right. So I'm going to say 95. Good guess. Yes. Lana Turner passes away in 1995. She smoked and Boom. she drank most of her life. Um, she was well-preserved. She was very, very well-preserved. <laughs> she, um, in 1994, she made her final public appearance at a film festival in Spain to accept a Lifetime Achievement Award. She was actually confined to a wheelchair for most of the event, and she died nine months later at the age of 74 on June 29th of 1995 from, from complications of cancer at her home in Los Angeles. Cheryl, her daughter, was by her side. Cheryl said that her death was a total shock as she had appeared to be in better health recently and had even completed seven weeks of radiation therapy. Her remains were cremated and given to Cheryl. Multiple accounts say that Cheryl still has them. Some say she scattered them in the ocean. Some say she scattered them in various locations. Um, Cheryl and her lifelong partner, Joyce Leroy, whom Lana accepted as a second daughter, inherited some of Lana's effects uh, in her passing. Her estate in court was estimated to be about $1.7 million, and she left the majority of her estate to her maid, Carmen Lopez Cruz, who had been her companion for 45 years and her caregiver during the final stages of her illness. Uh, Cheryl actually challenged the will. And uh, Carmen said that the majority of the state was consumed by probate costs, legal fees, and medical expenses. Yeah. 74 is, is pretty young, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm sure when I was like five, 74, well, 40 seemed old. But right now, I'm, I'm 40, can be 42 coming up, but 74 doesn't seem like that far away. No, I know. Um, you, I know you love the pop culture things. And we talked about a movie, a couple of movies and books, and you mentioned LA Confidential, but mm -hmm. Lana's also referred, uh, referenced in songs by Nina Simone and Frank Sinatra. And she's actually the reason or the source of Lana Del Rey's stage name. Oh, really? That's good. Yeah, cool. singer Lana Del Rey. She's got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And in 2012, Complex Magazine named her the eighth most infamous actress of all time. And there you have the, the, life, the life of the infamous and the crimes of the infamous Lana Turner. I love how we've had two consecutive weeks where I think I've seen every movie on earth. <laughs> and, and you passionately tell me about a movie that I have never even heard of. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably going to end up rewatching LA Confidential tonight because that is one of my all time favorites. Well, uh, now you'll have a whole new perspective as you're watching it. 
Absolutely. I'm going to watch for this because I think Johnny Stampanato was just like a bit character in it, kind of in the background. Uh, it's like one of the thugs, but now I'm going to like have an entirely different understanding of who this dude is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. But there you go. That is the A side. Oh, B side. No, that's the, that's that's the, the B side. <laughs> that is the B side. We only switched for one week. I know. I'm trying to take <laughs> over your, trying to take over your side. There you go. That's the B side. If, if, we, if we can't do it for our moms. Huh? If we can't do it for our moms. Then we're, all right. So on the A side last week, well, we wasn't really the A side because I did it was true a crime. Swapped on. A side. It was we, a swapped A side. On last on last episode, uh, Brooke talked about uh, the Last Dragon, mm-hmm. which was a movie that I had never heard of, and I still have to find a way to watch. Uh, but one of the younger characters in the in the film. Uh, was portrayed by Ernie Reyes. Mm-hmm. And I have loved Ernie Reyes since the moment I saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Secret of the Ooze in the theater, who he plays Kino, the pizza delivery boy, who's also a ninja and helps out the turtles. And I was convinced this guy is going to be a giant star. So the very next movie that he was in, I was there opening night. And it is a movie that I have not thought about since, you know, for years until last week. You mentioned Ernie Reyes was the show and I started looking at his IMDb and I was like, holy cow, this movie is absurd. It's terrible. (laughs) Absolutely love it. And you can't watch it anywhere. It's Mm -hmm. not, you can't even rent it. Like, I literally have a DVD on the way that cost me $15. Someone's selling the VHS for 75 bucks. Whoa. And I thought about it. Whoa. So, of course, I'm speaking of the 1993 American comedy. And this was like, I don't think that people realize how big a cultural change Karate Kid was. Because mm-hmm. after Karate Kid, it was just like all ninjas for like ten years. Yeah, it was. Like we had, we had uh, you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We had three ninjas, and then three ninjas kicked back, where they just brought three entirely different children, and didn't think we'd notice. And then there was like the third three ninjas was more kids you'd never seen before. It was those. <laughs> Kids these days, you guys got to see the same people in Harry Potter. We didn't get that luxury with Three Ninjas. And it was very disturbing. But another one that I absolutely loved was a screwball comedy that was action. It was a martial arts film. It was about family and also about surfing. The brilliantly titled Surf Ninjas. All right. Came out in 1993. Uh, it was written by Dan Gordon, directed by Neil Israel, but I don't know that they really had to do much because everyone's just having a great time. It starred Ernie Reyes and Nicholas Cohen as brothers who are surfers, living the teenage surfer life in California until suddenly they're attacked by ninjas. And then a man shows up with a patch, an eye patch, and defends them and tells them that they are actually the long lost princes of an island nation called Patuzan. 
and they have to go back to dethrone the evil colonel who rules over the country, which can only be played in an 80s or 90s screwball comedy by Leslie Nielsen. (laughs) One thing that I did not realize is that the uh, character of Zatch, uh, which really should just be called Patch because he's wearing an eye patch all the time, but Zatch is his name, was actually played by Ernie Reyes Sr. Oh! His dad, I didn't, like, all the years that I've watched this, I never realized that that was a thing. Um, The Reyes family has been in Hollywood doing stunts and uh you know being uh stunt coordinators and and stunt doubles for for years and years in fact ernie was donatello's stunt double for the first ninja turtles movie and that's how he got the role for the second and then he was the stunt double for donatello in that movie too oh wow it's like there was like obviously scenes there together he couldn't done both the stunts but in other scenes he was a stunt double uh he was just this million watt smile super engaging and i was convinced that there was going to be decades of ernie reyes martial arts movies and the only one that he really got to star in i mean he's been in tons of stuff uh but the only one that he really was the lead on was surf ninjas so surf ninjas these two surfer boys from california realize that they have to go back to the island nation and stop an uprising there's, there's a great training montage at one point, but probably the thing that people will remember the most, besides Rob Schneider inexplicably playing a teenager when he's in his early 30s and having the world's worst like red tie-dye like hair job, it was, mm-hmm. it was not good, uh, was the fact that the entire movie is bookended by the song Barbaran. Exactly. So they sing it at the beginning and at the end after everything, the monks at the the place are singing it as well. Uh, It is a ton of fun. However, I was a little surprised to learn. I guess I don't know why I was so surprised, but this is a a theme that is happening with so many movies that Adam loves. Uh, The reviews were not great. Uh, In fact, its current tomato meter score is 11%. Ooh. Which is really low. Like, super low. I mean, the audience score is 68%, and that feels a little bit more uh, legitimate. Uh, but it was not well-received, and it made no money at all. Uh, the total box office gross. The first weekend, they grossed $2 million and came in 12th place. The total gross was under $5 million. So that does answer the question of why it was not, uh, there were no sequels and maybe why Ernie Reyes did not become the box office star that Adam at 12 years old was absolutely convinced he was going to be. Uh, It is a lot of fun. It's very silly. Tone uh, Tone Loke shows up for a while as a cop, which you're not expecting. Uh, It's got a lot of action sequences. Uh, I've actually read reviews back that I found online from the back in the nineties where people were actually complaining there wasn't enough surfing. It, they felt like there weren't enough surfing scenes to actually call it surf ninjas. <laughs> I was like, this very strange thing to decide you're angry about, but they do surf in the movie. They surf at the beginning. And in fact, the invasion of the uh, castle Island where Colonel Chi played by Nielsen or uh, Nils- Leslie Nielsen, sorry, 
it is the only way that they can get there is via surfing. So in one of those classic action comedy movie montages, the two kids suddenly teach like 500 people how to surf in like 25 minutes. And then they surf and invade the country. Uh, it is very slapstick. Uh, and it has this weird tie-in with the Sega game, like Genesis uh, Game Boy uh, system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was the, it was a Tendo Game Boy. It was, what was the, uh, Sega Genesis had a different uh, name for their uh, handheld, uh, but it was their Game Gear, Sega Game Gear. Okay. And in fact, Sony, and I did not realize this until I was doing research for this, I was totally snowed by this and I had the wool pulled over my eyes as a kid because I remember how cool it was that the Game Gear was involved in the plot device. Uh, the character played by uh, Nicholas Cowan, who is uh, Ernie Reyes' character's little brother, has a Game Gear, but it also tells the future. And he can like see what's happening. And so on the game, he can fight guys and it'll happen in real life. Mm-hmm. And that was all put in there by Sega who, fi- who funded the movie because they wanted to develop a video game based on the movie. But because the movie was delayed for two weeks uh, due to some, some reshoots or something, the video game actually came out before the movie. So from what I could find, this was the only time that a video game based on a movie came out before the movie even though that the video game was only based on the movie. It wasn't a video game before it became a movie. Okay. If you follow me. Uh, so it was basically a giant advertisement for Game Gear. Right. Uh, it didn't do anything other than make 12-year-old Adam really want a Game Gear that I was never going to get. And in hindsight, I think that is probably one of the few systems I have not found a way to own. Because I have, like, I could not buy video games or a console set or a Game Boy until I was like 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much bought everything that I wanted except for a Game Gear. And I've totally kind of forgot about it, but I'm probably going to end up on eBay later tonight trying to find the Surf Ninjas Game Gear game and a, and a working Game Gear so I can play it. Uh, it was kind of brilliant. And they were trying to sell it that way, but it didn't work out. Uh, the movie is super silly and slapstick and just the exact thing that a 12 year old boy would be into. And that's why I think I loved it so much because I was the absolute target demographic having, you know, love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and thinking that Kino was going to be like the fifth turtle and mm-hmm. be a part of it going forward forever. And then they really didn't ever do anything with that character, which is wasted opportunity in my opinion. Uh, but the sad part is it is not, as I mentioned, streaming anywhere. You can't rent it. You have to buy a DVD off of Amazon for eight bucks or buy the VHS for 75. But as we have seen before in the history, we're at 100 and what, 105 episodes now? Mm-hmm. Yep. Sometimes when we put things out there into the ether, stuff will happen. First time. It has happened several it, times. It's happened. So I'm putting it out there. There is no way that the rights to surf ninjas cost anything. <laughs> I mean, it lost, its budget was 6.5 million. It made 4.9, not including like all the marketing costs and everything. It lost money. So some streaming service has got to be able to call up New Line Cinema and said, hey, give us the rights to surf ninjas. It'll be a great fall movie. I'll have people, you know, 
Cobra Kai is a big thing now. Like, where are they coming? Like, third season's coming up? Third, fourth no, season? No, like, fifth season. Fifth, yeah. It's, like, it's made a complete revival. We just had Shang-Chi this time last year. Like, martial arts are kind of coming back. We have the new Kung Fu series on the WB. It seems like a wasted opportunity where you could spend virtually no money and add this very strange, very fun, very silly slapstick action comedy to your streaming repertoire. And I hope that by putting it out there that within the next couple of months, we'll all be able to like watch Surf Ninjas at home. Uh, and then we'll start dealing with getting three ninjas on there as well. <laughs> I'm so happy that I was able to help you. Um, <laughs> oh, it was great. Find a, a, an A-side. Because last lit- week, your reaction was so great when you were looking at the cast. You were like, what? <laughs> i do like i there there are a few people that like i still to these days de- like we were just talking about uh la confidential and guy pierce who plays uh edmund exley in la confidential i thought he was gonna win a dozen oscars by the time he was done and he's really never had he's had some great roles but he never really had that leading man career and there's a couple of times you're just like, why did this work? It makes so much sense. So uh, I'm glad this reminded me of that. I'm totally disappointed. Like this, the whole thing started because I was like, dude, I want to watch Surf Ninjas. And then I mm-hmm. could not find it anywhere. And I was like, all right, we're going to fix this. We're going to put it in the ether because I want to be able to watch Surf Ninjas before my DVD gets here. And I'm not buying that $75 VHS. Don't do thought. it. I'm going to double check with you and see. <laughs> Hey, VHS is the new vinyl, man. It's, it's all the kids are putting their money in. <laughs> well, then I'm in good shape because I still have quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> I do as well. I do as well. Oh, that So that is the A-side. Uh, hopefully, soon you'll be able to stream uh, Surf Ninjas on your favorite device. Uh, if you find it at a garage sale on the DVD form or even the VHS, especially if you find the VHS, you buy that and you call me. <laughs> get it snatch it up right then <laughs> snatch that up and we'll just deal with it later <laughs> adam will venmo you cash app you whatever it takes absolutely like i'll, I'll hop on a bus trip to come pick it up <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right so is that the a side that is the a side uh surf Ninjas is amazing ernie Rez did not get enough uh publicity and leslie nielsen is the king of physical comedy and always will be also like kelly hugh as a very young kelly hugh was the princess that he's been betrothed to which i totally forgot about as well but it's really interesting cast uh somehow it makes it work even with rob schneider as a 30 year old playing a high school kid so oh my god totally fun and uh if you like action comedies if you like kung fu movies uh they also of course do the van surfing uh car surfing in, in this case, but that connects with Teen Wolf, which we've talked about before as well. Yes. So uh, it's, all, it's all connected in the A-side universe. Well, and you mentioned that Eddie Reyes Jr. and his dad played uh, Zatch in, in Surf Ninjas. And I was like looking up the two of them. They've actually appeared in a couple of movies together because uh, they were actually in a movie called Money Fight together. And he plays apparently his dad again. And Money Fight is like Maria Conchita Alonzo, Ving Rhames, George Takai. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Eddie Reyes Jr., even like he had a kickboxing career. 
okay. he, he had three professional bouts. He was three and zero with like one knockout, and he was, over the span of like seven years, it was like I don't know if he just really disliked these three people, and that's why he's like, I'm gonna fight you professionally <laughs> because he was winning every time. So it's like, do you really want to do this, or do you just dislike these guys? He pulled a Jake Paul and was like fighting them all, and then yeah. he was like, all right, I'm good. He's like, I, I I came here to do what I wanted to do I, I was gonna you know kick ass and chew bubble gum and I'm all out of bubble gum. I'm all out of bubble gum baby I mean he's had an amazing career just like stunts and avatar Alice in Wonderland like every tv show that you could think of NCIS Los Angeles the librarians he was on an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine which I'm gonna have to find as like Bob number two uh, mm-hmm. he had a in some show called the next kill which doesn't even have a hyperlink to its own page so no one saw that show uh, he was described, his character name was, this is probably the best, badass, blue shirt wearing, pizza loving surfer dude. <laughs> so, pretty great. Pretty great. Oh, man. All right. Well, there you go. There it is. That's the ASI. Thanks, Adam. Thank um, you, Brooke. Of course, you know the deal the shindig, the, the bruja. Well, I guess bruja is not good because that's bad, but you know. You the know bruhaha. You know what I'm saying. Like, like the, secret, the secret of the ooze? Yes. <laughs> you the know the continues. deal? The yeah. deal. The kingdom of the crystal skull? <laughs> I'm just mentioning more movies than Ernie Reyes would say. <laughs> All right. So thank you for listening. And obviously you found us somehow. But if you wish to subscribe, go to our website, asidebsidepodcast.square.site. Uh, that will link you to every streaming service that you could possibly want. I recommend following us on all of them and subscribing because then you're guaranteed to never miss an episode because you're going to get like seven alerts and everybody mm-hmm. loves little pop-ups on their phone. Uh, while you're at the website, you can also check out our merch. We're probably going to get some new merch soon, probably like a flannel, uh, one of those one of those crazy like deer stalker hats, you know, with the flannel <laughs> and the big, the big ears that come down. Uh, I'm hoping for a cape. We'll see. Uh, it's all it's all in the A cape? The you want a cape, huh? Yeah, we'll get a cape, you know. I suggested the shower curtain and somehow that happened. So that's true. And I still haven't had the guts to buy one and put it up, <laughs> put it up in my bathroom. Uh, if you have any uh, semblance of understanding for humanity and you know what Brooke has to go through every time she edits all of this, uh, you can buy her a coffee at buy us a coffee or buy me a coffee.com a side B side podcast. Search us out there and uh, tell your friends, tell us about stories what is your favorite ninja movie? Hit, hit us up on all the socials and we'll just keep doing this until somebody tells us to stop. So please don't tell us to stop because we actually really enjoy it. Yeah. Also, like I I don't I don't listen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. We've learned that. <laughs> that's a known thing. It's like when you take the card and they're like, oh yeah, this is a known problem for this model. I'm like, yeah, this one doesn't listen. all right there you go that is episode 105 thanks adam thank you brooke